0: Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, no cousin Shane. Sorry. He's actually, he's free. He's out of jail. But he's under the weather. So I can't make this stuff up. He told me. He'll be back as soon as he's back on his feet. So, reached out to our good buddy, friend of the show, Chris Marler, Saturday Down South, college football uncensored, to talk, of course, the upcoming national championship game, Alabama's demise, Tennessee's rise, and a whole lot more. So, we'll get to that in just a second. But, man, since we last recorded, we have had all kinds of coaching news in the SEC. Still waiting for more to drop. It's been a wild time here in the SEC, and let's just get started with the news. It broke my heart when it didn't happen. Now that it is, back on the bandwagon, baby. Bobby Petrino, down to College Station. Lasted about uh, three weeks there in Las Vegas. It doesn't take long to go bust in Vegas and Apparently, uh, Barry Odom found that out pretty quickly because the he hired Bobby Petrino away from Missouri State. Now, Bobby Petrino back on the radar for Texas A&M, and I think this is great. The jokes are going to come easy. We're already seeing it. Bobby Petrino in the neck brace and all the motorcycle. Hell, I've even done it myself. But, hey, on the face of this, I think this is Brilliant. Yes, Jimbo is essentially putting the fate of his tenure in College Station in Bobby Petrino's hands, but, man, Bobby, that's (laughs) – he's a wild card. He's the ultimate wild card. But the thing you can't say about him is when he's motivated, when he's engaged, he's one of the best out there. We got a good look at that this season when Missouri State went into Fayetteville, went toe-to-toe with Arkansas – for much of that football game, scored 27 on Arkansas. I know Arkansas didn't have a great defense, but this is an FCS team. You gotta remember that. I don't think they could have done a better job than hiring Bobby Petrino. Laid it out before. I'll lay it out again. But first, let's look at uh you know what Bobby Petrino did at Missouri State for those that think that maybe he's just over the hill and Jimbo, I've I've seen this. Jimbo's hired another outdated offensive guy. Well. His first season at Missouri State went five and one in the conference, shared the I don't even know what the conference is, but they did share a title of it. He was named Conference Coach of the Year. That was his first year. Second year, eight and four overall, six and two in conference play. And then this year, the wheels kind of fell off five and six overall, three and five in conference play. But again, so a losing team at the FCS rank. Went into Fayetteville, scored 27, some terrific play calls by Bobby Petrino. He still has it, clearly. Missouri State did finish 25th in the FCS in scoring, red zone scoring, 72nd in third down conversion. So maybe you get an indication why Bobby Petrino was at what it out of there. It was not overall going well, but... It, it was trending downward, I think it's fair to say. So you could call him out for that, but Bobby Petrino wears thin on people quick. If he lasts two, three, four seasons at AM, the same thing will happen. But this is not a move I don't think Jimbo is making for the long haul. He's making it for now. He needs a spark. Again, incredible, incredible play caller. Take some of those responsibilities off of Jimbo during the game. We've all seen the photos. See him on the sideline with his Cheesecake Factory menu over there looking through it. It's an awful look. And it's an even worse look when your offense is as pathetic as Texas A&M had a top 100 offense efficiency. This move had to be made. Getting in, a credible play caller, someone that has been a head coach in the SEC, head coach in the ACC. Hell, he's been a coach in the NFL. Didn't last long, but he has been there. That's Bobby Petrino. He is not going to be intimidated by Jimbo Fisher. I don't care what Jimbo Fisher is getting paid there. Bobby Petrino will walk his ass out the door if Jimbo yanks the play calling duties from him because we've seen Bobby Petrino walk out the door before. And people look at that as a negative. I look at that, again, as a positive because he's not going to take any of Jimbo's crap. He still works for the guy, but they're going to have to work together to make this work in College Station. Won't be a pushover, and clearly, this says to me that he's motivated to, you know, go out a winner, maybe get back to major college football as a head coach. His path was to get there was not at Missouri State. His path, and it wasn't at UNLV either. His path is at Texas A&M. So this is a an accomplished coach that's got a lot to prove, taking over the offense there in College Station, and the entertainment factor is going to be off the chain. Whether this works, if it does, A&M's going to be an SEC college football contender as soon as next season, legitimately. If it doesn't work, it's going to be a spectacular failure, and Texas A&M will get them a new coach. That's, again, I think it's that big of a deal. So, one way or another, we're going to have success... (laughs) We're going to have a new coach at A&M if this blows up. But I don't think it will. And another thing you could say about uh, the issues plaguing a and I know that they get very sensitive when we call out their lack of production at the quarterback position. I never thought Kellen Mond got better. From his sophomore season to the senior season, he was essentially the same guy. You know, statistically, a little bit better as a senior. Well, also, they had an elite offensive line. They were running people over. He could have been a Heisman winner, based on what I saw his sophomore year. Just never took that big step. Well, that's also what you're potentially getting in Bobby Petrino. We all know he's coached Lamar Jackson to a Heisman, and now he's one of the best NFL quarterbacks. Some of the other quarterbacks he's coached, Ryan Mallett, of course, Tyler Wilson, who made it to the NFL, and he, he had a hell of a season there at arkansas he also recruited brandon allen who again i know he didn't really coach him to much success at arkansas that came later but brandon allen i think he's still in the nfl he was in the nfl for a number of years if he's not still there so that is got to excite me if i'm an a&m fan this guy knows how to develop quarterbacks and again kind of the same thing i just said with jimbo taking away a lot of these other responsibilities recruiting managing the roster, Bobby Petrino is not going to have to do any of that. He's going to have to execute the game plan, get his quarterback, Connor Wigman, playing the best football of his career. I think it's a grand slam. I really do. The only negative, his character. (laughs) We could spend the rest of the show talking about that. And I think taking the UNLV job, that lasted, again, just a couple of weeks. That says something about the guy as well. Not that uh, I fault the guy for leaving UNLV for Texas A&M. 100 out of 100 coaches are going to make that move. But the timing of it is interesting, to say the least. And the final thing that I've kind of got on this, this may have been a little bit of a reality check for A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Because all I heard was they're going to get Garrett Riley. They're going to get some hot shit. They're going to get the best. They, they could throw whatever the money they want out there, they can get whoever they want. And there was probably a time that was true. But the fact that you hired Bobby Petrino, I just said all those great things about him. It also says to me that this job was probably not as attractive Jimbo Fisher hoped it would be. And again, that's not to discredit Bobby Petrino because I think he's an excellent coach. But to get a young, rising coordinator... I think working with Jimbo is not something that uh, is maybe attractive to some of the big names, like a Alex Golish, who I know took over at South Florida. Or you know, there's there's a number of guys that were floated out there. Baylor's offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes, who's I know that Baylor was not outstanding this season, but they I believe they won the Big Twelve, and I know they went to the Sugar Bowl the year prior. Jeff Grimes probably gonna be a head coach before long. Texas A&M a hell of a lot better job than Baylor. I don't know if there was a bunch of interest there or not. The Washington offensive coordinator was apparently someone they were kind of interested in, and he had a hell of a year there at Washington. Couldn't get that guy. So, I don't know. Is it, I do not know if working for Jimbo, with Jimbo's background being an offensive coordinator, being a kind of stuck in his way, so to speak, on the offensive side of the ball, I wonder... You know, how willing he was going to be to. Right now in January, he can say he's given up the offensive play calling. What happens week two, week three, week four, if the offense is not where he thinks it should be, he's going to grab that thing right back. And Bobby Petrino is about the only one he probably can't grab that back from. So it's interesting. And and that, again, that's just me speculating. But the fact that they could have had Petrino a couple weeks ago, I don't know what happened. Now he goes to UNLV. Now he comes back. They're circling back to a guy that was obviously on their list. But, again, they could have had him at the time. Could have had him before the early signing period. Didn't happen, but it's happening now. And I think it's a great move. And if it's not, it's going to be entertaining as hell. So we win either way. And speaking of making an offensive coordinator hire for the first time ever, which is what Jimbo just did, Eli Drinkwitz, also hiring an offensive coordinator. He's never done that before. I know he's not been a coach nearly as long, not nearly as successful as Jimbo, but they reach out to Fresno State offensive coordinator Kirby Moore is the new offensive coordinator there at Missouri. That's official. He is the younger brother of Kellen Moore, former Boise quarterback, and, of course, now the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys down there. He's been named to 24-7 sports. 30 best coaches under the age of 30. Twice Kirby Moore's made that list. And more impressively, according to the numbers shared to us by uh, Dave Bartu's Matrix Analytical, Fresno State had the number 15 offensive scoring efficiency offense in the country that old Kirby Moore led. So top 15, I mean, that's outstanding, obviously. Uh, Bartu also had Moore as the number 8 Offensive play caller in his first year at Fresno State. So this is a guy that comes with an outstanding reputation in the coaching world. Fresno State led the Mountain West in scoring, led the Mountain West in third down conversions. Two aspects Missouri has obviously struggled. He coaches quarterbacks as well. uh, And that is going to be a title that he keeps in Columbia as well. Offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So this is great news for Sam Horn. Great news for Brady Cook. Brady Cook. And the rest of the quarterbacks there in Missouri. The offense did better once again with drink, kind of giving up the play calling duties late in the season. Sensing a theme here, these coaches, especially if they're struggling, putting out so many fires, you just, you've got to give up some of that control. And I think it helps you on game day. There's just not that many Steve Spurriers out there uh, in the world of uh, college football. No doubt. We also had a coordinator hire at Tennessee, Joey Halsley. The quarterback's coach has been promoted. He's been working with Josh Heupel going into 15 years now. So, I mean, there should not be any kind of transition period whatsoever. Halsley sat with Alex Golish every game day there up in the box. So again, very familiar with what was going on there with the Tennessee offense. This was an interesting move that uh, Heupel decided not to go outside of uh, his system. But at the end of the day, how can you fault it given how successful Tennessee has been on offense? Arguably the nation's top offense with top quarterback play from Hendon Hooker. Joe Milton obviously showcased what he could do in the Orange Bowl, so you're keeping that continuity for the next quarterback as well. He's also recruited Taven Jackson and the five-star Nico to Tennessee, so you got to imagine those quarterbacks also happy with this decision, keeping it seamless. Now Tennessee will have to hire a tight ends coach to make up for losing Alex Golish, the new South Florida coach. Uh, So I just thought that was pretty interesting, and Halsley will stay on as quarterback's coach as well. So that was the title he previously had. He's going to maintain that position as well. And Tennessee, other news on that front, big news potentially for the Vol offense next season, senior tight end Jacob Warren announced he will be back for a sixth season at Tennessee Jacob Warren is a solid piece of that offense. Not a big play receiver type at the tight end position, but the tight end position is, you know, a very, very demanding position in this offense with what Josh Heupel and company asked those tight ends to do. Losing Jacob Warren would have left them with no experienced tight ends returning. So this is huge. I know they got the uh, the transfer and they've got a, a, a touted freshman coming in, but this really helps that room. I think Jacob Warren... That's one that uh, may go under the radar, but great news for Tennessee's offense next season as they transition to a new starting quarterback. And last coordinator news here in the SEC, Mississippi State. Not the coordinator news they're waiting for, but still defensive coordinator has been named Matt Brock. He was your linebackers coach last season under Zach Arnett, now being promoted to defensive coordinator. Uh, Matt Brock called the defense For Mississippi State in their bowl win over Illinois so again this signs that this was going to happen he's been working under Zach Arnett the entire time there in Stark for the last three seasons so someone Zach Arnett very comfortable with this is another guy that's been named to the uh, 30 best coaches under the age of 30 previously Matt Brock so I love what Zach Arnett's doing here keeping that continuity keeping that defense going And I like the fact that uh, going into his first season as the head coach down there in Mississippi State, he's not overloading his plate with having to keep the defensive play-calling responsibilities. So smart move there from Zach Arnett. And then big news potentially here for Mississippi State receivers coach Chad Bumpus, former outstanding Mississippi State receivers coach, Joined Zach Arnett's staff. He was previously at Utah, and this is a fan favorite. Again, one of the, I think he's the most productive receiver in Mississippi State history. So anytime you can get a guy like that to come back to the program, he's you know he's going to recruit his ass off, coach, and develop these players. Mississippi State, one of the deepest receiver rooms in the SEC, has been hit by uh, graduation and transfers. So they're going to have to – kind of restock that room a little bit here, and Chad Bumpus, the guy to do it. And we're still waiting for an offensive coordinator hire, but I do want to say this. I think Zach Arnett is going about this the right way. You could have kept a lot of the same pieces in place, some of the Mike Leach's guys, but this ain't Mike Leach's program anymore. This has got to be Zach Arnett's program. And if he just goes into it trying to keep all the pieces that Mike Leach wanted, He's going to fail. He's got to do it his way with respect to Mike Leach. Kind of, I don't want to say blowing up the offensive staff, but reworking it. We mentioned this on the last show, and apparently it's got a lot of smoke here. Kendall Browse, Arkansas offensive coordinator, considering joining Mississippi State. That would be devastating to Arkansas. It would be a huge cue to Mississippi State. We'll see if uh, that happens. We'll obviously keep you guys updated, but... Signs are that, uh, you know, there's going to be a change here on offense. Sawyer Robertson, the backup quarterback, he has hit the transfer portal. And this is someone that pushed Will Rogers during training camp, former four-star recruit. Another four-star quarterback, a freshman, has jumped in the portal as well. So, you know, indications are that, uh, you know, these players believe that the the offense is going to be changing a, quite a bit here at Mississippi State. No idea if these players are being Asked to enter the portal or anything, but Sawyer Robertson is one to keep your eye on. I think while he's not proven anything at the college major college football level, I think he could be a starter for someone at the power five level. So interesting, interesting developments there. Mississippi State. But again, love what Zach Arnett is doing early on in his tenure. He's recruiting is going well. I think he's making a lot of the right hires. We'll see who he hires at offensive coordinator very well could dictate his ultimate success or failure in Starkville. And two updates here in the SEC East real quick before we get to our interview with Chris Marler. Jordan Birch, defensive lineman, South Carolina, hitting the portal. Sounds like uh, NIL certainly playing a factor here. And, you know, it's a blow. Jordan Birch was uh, one of the I think he was top five overall prospect when he came out of uh, just a local high school, Hammond High School there in Columbia. Never really quite lived up to that hype, but he is coming off his best season he's ever had. So this is a a blow. You can just in the SEC, it's a line of scrimmage game. As much as we want to marvel at these quarterbacks and receivers and, and outstanding running backs, we got littered across the conference. These games are won in the line of scrimmage. Potentially a big hit here for South Carolina looking ahead to next season. And speaking of the line of scrimmage, though, good news for Kentucky because team captain, senior guard Kenneth Horsey announced he will be back for a sixth season in Lexington. That offensive line was a trade wreck at times. They've hit it hard in the transfer portal. Bringing back Horsey was a must. Get a sense that, uh, you know, he wants to right some wrongs. Doesn't want to leave big blue nation here. The big blue wall. He wants to get back to that before he ends his college career. Love to see this. And I believe Kentucky now is poised to start essentially a full offensive line of either redshirt seniors or redshirt juniors next season. So, again, I know they weren't great this year, but experience certainly matters. The more experience on that offensive line, the better. Getting in some talent there. Kentucky's offensive line, good start heading into spring football. All right, let's kick it over now to our interview with Chris Marler, Saturday Down South. Always an entertaining interview. All right, hey, we're pleased to once again be joined by a friend of the show, Chris Marler. You know him from Saturday Down South, college football uncensored.
1: Chris, how you doing, buddy? Oh, good, man. Good. Just living out what I thought would be a childhood nightmare of Georgia winning back-to-back national champions <laughs> or championships. Um, no, man, like this has been a great bowl season. Uh, it's been awesome. I-, I feel like I'm just I'm really trying to ride this wave of happiness because I know that on Tuesday I'm gonna turn on the TV and there's gonna be some bullshit, way too early top twenty-five, I'm gonna disagree with. And then we're just gonna only talk about basketball for the next like two months and I'm gonna be dead inside.
0: Well, thankfully, not on this show. Damn it, Chris. We don't we're not going to talk basketball. We may talk about it one day during the SEC tournament. We're SEC football. But I gotta oh. ask you this. I gotta start with this. You're a big Alabama guy. How do you, are you fearful
1: that Alabama will never catch up to Georgia's dynasty? So I honestly I think it's a really good point. Like I like I always love when people I, I grew up a Bama fan, but like this is crazy thing that you can do as like as an adult. Um you can do it as a child too, but a lot of a lot of times as an adult. It's just called having rational, objective opinions. Um, and since I, I, I love college football, like, and I always have, and yeah, I wish I, I love when Bama does really well, but like, I also like love talking about all these different teams. I think like when you look at these two teams objectively, yeah, I, don't, I think I think Kirby has distanced himself from Saban in a pretty quick way. And I did a I did a deep dive on this a while back, and I called and bombarded you with it about just the amount of talent that Saban was signing. That was leaving, um, because you know you talk about like sure maybe some of these guys didn't play or whatever. But you talk about like the the stars and the rankings, you know they have lost their top player in their recruiting class in like two of the like last four years. Um, in this deep dive, it did and you compare it to say or compare it to Kirby? I think that like obviously, is the best coach of all time. I don't think the sky is necessarily falling. You have the two losses by four points, whatever. Love what, what they did in the bowl game. But Bryce Young is not walking back to that door. And and you the fact that you had to replace Jalen Hurts with Tua, with Mac, with Bryce Young. I mean, you're a Tennessee guy. That's like replacing Peyton with Peyton, with Peyton, with Peyton. With Peyton. It's like they're obviously not as good as Peyton maybe. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's that's there has to be some natural level of drop-off. And I think what worries me when you really look at it like because we we joked around with Georgia fans forever, right? About 41 years in 1980. And Kirby, you know, that fake punt, like all these bad decisions. Well, now he's like figured out the coaching part of it. He's amassed more talent than anybody. And he's 46 years old. So now we're just sitting in this like, just like this process where he just has everything working like clockwork. Yeah. And I, I I think that, I think that he is, he's going to um, win a lot of championships. I really do. Cause I think he's separated himself from everyone, including Nick Saban.
0: You Realize there are one-year-olds, Chris, that have never seen Alabama beat Tennessee. So, well, in China they would
1: they would probably be put to sleep. So there's that. <laughs> like that's, that's probably.
0: Now you put out a deep dive on Stetson Bennett the other day. I thought you did a fantastic yeah. job. If anybody's yeah. not seen it, I retweeted it it's on on Marler's uh, Twitter as well, uh, as well as on Saturday Down South. Can you kind of recap the highlights of uh, Stetson Bennett on your deep dive uh, heading into the national championship game?
1: Yeah, man, I, I I appreciate it. Um, it, you know, so I it, it think it's like the stuff with Stetson is so crazy because he's like so polarizing for no reason. Um, you know, it, like we and now we've all heard the the stories at Nazi about you know he's a walk on he did this and what's really comical about it and I think you would agree is this kid came in and he was the scapegoat for every loss, everything that went wrong with that program for two straight years. Every bad like he lost to Bama twice, he lost to Florida like really bad numbers in those games. And as soon as JT Daniels came in, like Setson Bennett was the scapegoat for every loss they had. And even going into 2021, there was a lot of that fan base that was, you know, like the hate for Setson Bennett will never be as strong as it was from his own fan base for a lot of his career. And I'm glad that they've like finally come around and, and all that kind of stuff. But what's happened here is because since he's 5'10", since he kind of looks like Screech Powers and he's a walk on and he had, he made, he's got a lot of tape early on in his career of like, you know, like throwing the interceptions in big moments or, or this and that. But the bottom line is like after that SEC championship game against Alabama, when, when he threw two interceptions, including a pick six and, and they lost, they go to the college football playoff. And from that moment forward at what stood out to me the most was even in the national championship, when it seemed like, Oh my God, like they just got a fumble that they might, they're, they're leading in the fourth. Maybe they're going to win. Herbie didn't put the ball in anyone else's hands. He put it right in sets Bennett's hands, and they went right down the field four four for four for eighty two yards and, and leads the game in a drive. And since then, he he has been incredible to watch against ranked teams in the playoff alone. Like the fourth quarter, what the whole deep dive is about is he might be the most clutch fourth quarter quarterback that we've seen in college football during the playoff era. And I know that sounds crazy because of Joe Burrow and 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 guys like that, but I mean his numbers are incredible and last week against ohio state you're down by double digits he's pretty mediocre in the second and third quarter like through an interception 33 completion goes 10 to 12 in the in the in the fourth quarter two scoring drives um and they win and and it's like this kid they're not winning because of the talent around him he is driving this entire thing and it's it's really impressive to watch so i think for me i just i i love to Kill lazy narratives, and I think there might not be a lazier one in the country, uh, than sets Bennett is just like, not a lot of talent.
0: Right. He's Rudy with rings, as I like to call him.
1: I say he's Tom Brady with a perm. That's what I said.
0: <laughs> Did you see after the game, uh, Kirby Smart said they had a lot of doubters? What do you make of that?
1: I was happy to say that because that was um now we're even for the Bryce Young comment uh, at at Heisman ceremony last year when he was talking about how no one ever thought he could make it and he was like the number two <laughs> overall recruit. I, I don't I mean I don't know who was doubting him um at all. I, I don't think any of us are doubting him last year going into the season until that that game in Atlanta. But then you know the bottom line is Kirby Kirby's just been that that thing has been a machine. It was it was interesting to watch because I was there. Um, because Georgia fans haven't seen that or been in that situation in quite some time where it was like, oh, God, like this is – I mean, you remember 98, like the Arkansas game, right? Like this is this generational team that you you've, you know can win a national championship. And it's so hard to get to the mountaintop. And, like, all of a sudden it could just we – we're having one bad game and it could just go go to, like, go to waste. Um, that game was incredible. I think that, that Herbie did a great job of, like, you know, coaching with the timeout all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't think they have any. I don't think they have any doubters. I, like you know, like, they can play the Jets right now. And
0: so who's winning on uh, Monday? Do you think Georgia? Any chance
1: TCU pulls off the stunner? I just I feel like you just that was a stone cold Steve Austin reference. That was good. Um, I so I think that like we just we've all dismissed and and like like disrespect to Tennessee or TCU. Sorry, TCU for like most of the season, right? Like the committee, especially the committee, was like just refusing to, to move them up. They're like, yeah, they won. But they that game was competitive because they scored points and the other team scored points. Um, I I didn't think they'd beat Michigan. They they're five and one against ranked opponents. The thing for me that I I don't see what they what they do or what they have that is going to stop Georgia for one um, and also be able to consistently put up points uh, and keep up with them against with that defense. There's just nothing. There's that not one specific thing that you know I I, I can point to where I'm like. Oh, here's a, here's where they have an advantage. And that's the case for a lot of teams that play Georgia. But with TCU, man, I, I don't think Max Duggan is going to just ball out against the defense he's about to face. Um, you know, they've been they've been really good and they've been consistent about winning, but they've they've also had uh, you know, they've been behind five times at the halftime that they've come back and won. Um I just I don't think it would take, it would take. Well, I was gonna say it would take like multiple turnovers, but like we saw this a week ago. And I think it was the most impressive thing about Georgia was you had two missed field goals. You have that weird play call from Munkin on second goal from the three to to McConkie. Um, you have an interception from Stetson. You did all that, and, and Ohio State played like their best possible game, and you still beat them. So I just don't see what TCU is going to be able to do, or how many mistakes Georgia would have to make uh, for them to be in that game.
0: What are your thoughts on old uh, old Bobby riding his motorcycle down there to Texas AM? I mean, does it make him a more dangerous team or is this gonna to, going to be the death of the death nail in the Jimbo's coffin down there?
1: Well, if anybody's gonna be a death nail, it'll be DJ Durkin for sure. Um, yeah, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think that this is what makes them dangerous. It's uh any off field anything I mean, like I just I I I think, I mean, Bobby Petrino's a great offensive mind. He's obviously still got it, like, you know. They, they put up a lot of points everywhere he's been. Um, I think it's a good move from that. I just, it's hilarious to me that this guy, like he's like a 16 year old, like trying to find a summer job. He's just like, I don't want to work at Brewster's anymore. I don't want to scoop ice cream. I'm going to go over here now. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's a good hire. I just am not, I don't believe at all that Jimbo Fisher is going to give up play calling because I think he's too egotistical. And I think that he's making a, Hire to save face to pretend like he's doing the right thing. But I don't – you think he's going to give that up? I
0: think by hiring Bobby Petrino, he signaled that he will. Because because w- Bobby Petrino is not going
1: to sit on his damn hands during the game. You know what? I mean, I think Bobby Petrino is probably happy to be back a little bit. And, like, I'm sure he's going to be heavily involved. And I hope he is the play caller because it will be, it'll be a lot more fun to watch than the, the shit that Jimbo's rolled out there over the past, like, couple of years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just – I don't think – I tell you what that game against LSU at the end of the season may have been like the worst thing that could have happened to them going into the offseason because now Jimbo's like, told y'all, still got it. Um, but yeah, we'll see, man. It's just, I, I i will say this too. I thought the Bryce Young like finale was really awesome, and they them opting in. There may not have been a more impressive uh postseason, like, like a more uplifting and like like confidence. Like riddled going into the offseason moment than the orange bowl with with uh, Joe Milton. He was fantastic.
0: Yeah, he was. I mean, of course, you, you should have expected nothing less. That's why I don't
1: fucking give you confidence. Just try <laughs> to be nice to you and then
0: well, let me ask you this. Who do you got more confidence in? And I'm speaking specifically of next season, yeah. Alabama or LSU. Alabama, I get it, they're gonna be loaded, but who knows? I mean, they both coordinators could be gone potentially. And all the star power they were losing to the NFL draft, LSU did beat them. It was in Baton Rouge, of course. But who do you think who do you got more confidence in right now, LSU or Alabama?
1: Well, let me start by saying that that is the sixth time LSU has beaten Alabama and Baton Rouge since 1955. Um, so huge win. One by one point into overtime, it was fantastic to watch. I, I, I like it was an amazing win, and they outplayed Bama again for the second straight year. Um, and just this time with Brian Kelly instead of Coach O. I think Brian Kelly's a great coach. I think that they Jaden Daniels is so much better than I thought he would be. Um, I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be yet for Alabama, but I would say the whole sky is falling thing about like the coordinators. Like, Bama was ranked in the top ten in several defensive categories, and they got like they got absolutely cooked at Tennessee. Um, but luckily, Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt doesn't play for every other team. Otherwise, I would have jumped off a bridge a long time ago. Um, but like, I don't think that that. I think it's a great. It was a great win. I don't think that LSU. I think it's a great confidence boost, and they're going to have a lot of confidence winning the next season. That's a team that got dominated at home by y'all. That's a team that like looks pretty bad at times, and you know, in a in a shootout with Florida at one point this season. Like I, I don't think that LSU, since they beat Bama for the second time in the last eleven years by a combined six points, I'm not convinced that they're going to all of a sudden take their place.
0: All right, same question in the East though. Kentucky or Florida? Kentucky has remade the offense pretty quickly with the transfer portal. Billy Napier just kind of went through essentially a year zero. It was like a wasted year uh, with with a potential NFL quarterback who you got yeah. more confidence in next season. Kentucky
1: or Florida? I'm, I don't even want to answer that question because I don't. Like, I really that's such a crap situation with with uh, with with um, Napier in Florida because I I really don't know what they had coming back because of all the turnover. Um, I will say this though. Depending on what that offensive line looks like next year, do I, I, you remember I came on this podcast and and said in September, I think my exact words were like Kentucky's kind of shitty, and mm-hmm. I got a lot of pushback from that. Um, and it turns out they weren't kind of shitty; they were just real shitty. They weren't a good football team. And I think that like we've seen soups be able to have like such you know up and down success, where the, the highs are really they're higher than they've been in the in the program forever. I don't know if he has built from a recruiting standpoint, like the, the big blue wall, I think that's huge. I, I, I just, Florida's going to be able to get more talent every single time. Right. And I I think that depending on what Kentucky is able to do with offense on the offense with Cohen, that, that is the, might be the biggest pick of the off season. If they can get back to that, that 2021 offense, I would definitely say Kentucky, but I just, they have a lot of holes, man. And Calipari ain't done nothing with all that talent. (laughs)
0: How about this? This is a this is a it's, – it's been a rivalry in the past. I think it's a rivalry once again, and they haven't even played. Ole Miss or Auburn, who, do, who you got more confidence in next season? The, the Lane Train's back, but, I, hell, it seems like half the fan base, he lost about half of them already. And then, uh, of course, we got Reverend Hugh down
1: there on the planes. What's wild is that this, like – lane 2022 lane kiffin did his best 2021 brian harson possible I, I i like i don't know about off the field but i you know we, we can make speculations you never know lane's a, lane's an attractive single dude but like he closed out horribly and and what, what i don't understand the same age is like i think maybe it's jimmy sexton or, or what but like the, the the strong arming of like programs like where it's like no you're gonna have to come woo me we saw jimbo do it at florida state like you need to make me feel like like you want me here, because otherwise there's so, we're crazy enough at the same age. Like and and money's not real in the SEC, where it's like, you know, this they'll, they'll hire me, and and Auburn would have like, I it I have more faith in Lane Kiffin because I think that the turnaround he was able to have in Ole Miss that quickly, um, with ten win season going to Sugar Bowl, that doesn't happen a lot in in Oxford. He has so much production coming back on offense. Um, the defense will be whatever the defense is. Um, you know, maybe if he doesn't go for every fourth down, um, it, like, you know, in the first quarter, like maybe it's not the first quarter. Um, I think that would be a good improvement. I think Auburn's going to get better under Hugh Freeze, and that's and it's great. But it has been hilarious to watch. And I, like, I had a lot of respect for Auburn all year. I went down there for the first time I ever had a blast. But Auburn fans talking shit to Ole Miss during their bowl game for losing their bowl game and then pretending like, yeah, we got the we got the right guy. It's like you were dead set on him after you were you were telling everyone you were gonna get Deion Sanders, and then after you were saying you were getting, I don't even remember who the other one was. And it was like just the level of like delusion and and hilarity because this is the SEC. I, I just I I hope we have that every offseason.
0: Now, a final one of those: Arkansas or Mississippi State?
1: Mm. Sam
0: Pittman, a little disappointing. Obviously, we got a, a coaching turnover due to tragedy at Mississippi State, but yeah. I like I like what Zach Arnett's doing, um, and, and it looks looks like they're both these programs are kind of battling it out for Kendall Brown. So that that could obviously change the the narrative here. But uh, who you got more confidence in next season? Arkansas, which has got a ton of guys in the portal, or yeah. Mississippi State after a coaching change?
1: I, so I think Arkansas. I think it's just a, what Mississippi State went through. Um, it's just really tough to deal with in general. I love the fact that Will Rogers and, and that like it, I've never wanted officials to fix games, which I know is a shock to you as a, as a Bama guy. But like if if Mississippi State didn't win that game the other day, like it, it would have been like just a travesty. Like because that was just, it was so like cool to see all like the pouring out of you know like emotion support for um, for Leach after he passed away, but. That is a very difficult thing to like weather that storm. And it's not like Starkville is I feel like there's always been a, a ceiling there, even when Leach was there. Like even when Bolin was there. Uh the ceiling's been eight wins, eight, nine wins. Like they rarely get up over that. Um, I want to say they've only had like five seasons at all time or something like that. I, I I forgot what it was, like of nine or more wins. Um, I think I it's I think it's that.
0: nine seasons
1: of nine wins. Okay. So, um, you know, and that's just, that's, it's not like, I've I've always said this, they're kind of like the South Carolina of the West and and, and vice versa. Arkansas can be a really competitive team in this league. Whoever's making the schedule at Arkansas needs to like fucking sit, sit this one out next year. Okay. Like, 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 I don't know. Sam Pittman is it, is an angel. Okay. He's a chubby red faced angel and, the fact that like he has to like walk in, he's like, all right, well, who? What are we doing this year? They're like, oh, listen, you're gonna love this. Uh, your conference schedule is gonna be a nightmare. But to make it worse, your non-conference schedule, we're gonna put you up against an old SEC coach who has nothing to lose, um, and then another old SEC coach that also has nothing to lose. Uh, both of them off the field issues, and they have a great offense. And then you're gonna go fly out to play the Mormons in BYU. And you're like, okay, well, then what, are, what about the postseason? It's like, well, that was just October. I d- I don't get it. I just don't know who's making the schedule for him. KJ Jefferson's back for his 11th year, and he's been fantastic. Just, I think he's this year's Hinden Hooker from not the production, because Hinden Hooker was incredible um, all season, and honestly, last year too. But like, just flying under the radar for no reason. Like, it's, it's like we're all oblivious to how great this kid is. And if I hear one more person say he's a running quarterback, I'm going to lose my mind.
0: It's funny you say chubby, red-faced angel. That's that's what, how my mom describes me. Uh, but uh, oh, yes. sp- speaking of KJ, so I, I did want to ask you: Who do you think is the best odds to win the Heisman out of the SEC next season? Is it KJ, or will it have to be? Unfortunately, it seems like the way it works, you got to be a damn playoff team to be considered for yeah. the Heisman.
1: Um, I, I, it's not KJ. It, it, like it's a great story, but it's not. I mean, like they, like they just won't. I don't see Arkansas. I mean, they have to go 11 and one and, the, and, and they have to go 11 and one and, and like make it to Atlanta too. I just, and I don't see that happening with that schedule. And that doesn't mean they're not a great, you know, they're not on, like, you know, on the rise and Pippen is a great job. Um, from the sec. Jayden Dan is an interesting one just because he's going to have a lot of primetime games, like especially in LSU and also early on against Florida state. That's a big one. Um, I don't think anybody from Bama, I'm sure I'm probably wrong about that. Um, but yeah, I think like just when you look at it, you you do have to be like a playoff contending team. So maybe Lane Kiffin somehow goes eleven and one, or and you have the same kind of numbers he put up this year with with Jenkins. Um whoever steps in at quarterback next year for Georgia. Like, I mean, Setson made it this this year. Um, and I tell you what, man, like Hidden Hooker should have been a Heisman finalist, and there's no reason that they kept him out of New York at all. Like, like, I mean, they let anybody up there, even those those wet bandits from Home Alone too. Like, they were allowed to go there. Like, like, Hooker had like this incredible two years, and he he meant more to that program, I think, than anybody in a long time. If Joe Milton can can like, because he's arguably more exciting to watch. Joe Milton is like, he's got a touch of like a Aaron Judge to him, where it's like, like. <laughs> he can just do things that no one else can do um and if he puts up you know similar numbers or i think it could be him
0: oh there's our clip right there all right last thing for you you mentioned south carolina any concern there i mean it it's it was such a roller coaster season it was disappointing to start then they started winning some games they got ranked then they lose to missouri they lose they got their ass kicked by florida then they turned around and beat the hell out of tennessee and clemson Right. At at Clemson, now they got all these guys hitting the portal. What do you make of uh what's going on at, at South Carolina? Any concern or yeah. is this just par it's, for the course?
1: Well, it's hard to win at South Carolina because again, that schedule is tough too. And I, Beamer's done an incredible job, and he really has. And you know, um and th- them being able to go up and, and like score in all these different phases of the game and like really when they seem like they're always short-handed. Um, I feel bad for South Carolina fans because like my family lives in Columbia, my sister went to school there. And it's like not a fan base that rides the waves, like of like the like the season more like dramatically and invested. I feel like it's South Carolina fans. It's like their entire attitude about life, and and like like we we can win a national championship. Like and the next week it's like we're gonna go four and eight. This is the worst. Um, I don't think it depends on Spencer Rattler.
0: I was gonna I ask you, plays, do you
1: think he comes back? Where would he go? xfl who's like, i don't understand why this is even being brought up like i like he's got an nfl drafting... arm it, that does what like he like most of the time it's it's like i'll tell you I, this I i'd
0: rather have spencer Rattler than than will levis no. am i
1: wrong oh no i like that pick i think it'll say stetson bennett um no like he, it's not like he's not a bad quarterback but he just has not i tell you what he would really benefit from staying an extra year instead of going out in a class that has C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Hooker, and anyone else that doesn't fumble the ball while running and then somehow pick it up for a seven-yard gain once every <laughs> three games. Like, I I just – I think – I hope he comes back because I think he would be, like, a really good, like – not addition, but really, like, important to keep building with Beamer's building. Um, But I don't think he's, like, a, a difference maker. Somebody Like, I saw it on Twitter the other day. Somebody said, Do you, is he – If he, if he comes back, is he the clear, clear cut Heisman front runner from the SEC? And I was like, what world are we living in right now?
0: He's, he's been a Heisman candidate four years in a
1: row. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All
0: right. So I appreciate you, Chris, uh, before you go, tell the audience where to follow you, where to find all your work.
1: Vern Funquist on Twitter and Instagram. The podcast is called College Uncensored. Um... We're not as structured or organized as you, and uh, we don't have the same cute red cheeks. My mom doesn't tell me that, but like you know, we we have a lot of fun over there, and we always have a blast talking to you, man. It, this has been a lot of fun this season. You did a great job. It was, it was really fun to watch you uh, grow this thing in, in year two.
0: Absolutely, I appreciate it, brothers. All right, so just want to thank Chris once again. Jump on. He jumped on a late notice here game about five minutes notice here didn't realize cousin shane was going to be under the weather so with shane out reached out to marler very grateful that he gave us that time on the show but hey that's going to do it for this week's shows we'll be back on monday for an official national championship game preview may have a guest lined up for that one as well we'll see if that comes through but hey savor it we only got one college football game left Monday night nationally televised national championship game between Georgia and TCU cannot wait. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one.